Those of you that uh, haven't, I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John Miklas. I'm the lead pastor here at CCC, and uh, we're excited to walk into uh, this series that we've been involved in the last couple weeks as we looked at this issue of emotions and trying to pay attention to who we are who, as the people that God has made us to be. Well, it was a day that every father looks forward to and kind of and dreads at the same in the same way. Looks forward to and dreads. And and as I talk to dads here that I've known who've had the opportunity to walk their daughters down the aisle, they've said to me things like, "John, it's like cutting my right arm off." And I'm like, "That's real encouraging. The right arm doesn't grow back, you know." Um, one guy said, um, you know, one guy said to me it was one of the most difficult things he's ever had to do in his life. And so as I was talking to my friends, just trying to get a framework of how do I walk through this, people kept saying to me, well, aren't you excited about the fact that you're gaining a son-in-law? I'm like, well, yeah, Mark's a great guy, but I'm giving away my daughter who I love dearly. And, uh, and so as I started to sit with this and wrestle with this, it was incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. I met with my counselor. I said, how do I sort all this out? Because there's a part of me that wants to be excited, but a part of me that feels some dread and some sadness, and I can't make sense out of these emotions. And he kept encouraging me to walk into some steps to navigate through it, but the best way I can describe it is I felt stuck. I felt stuck. I knew what I wanted to feel. I didn't feel that, but I knew what everybody was telling me I should feel, and I couldn't figure out how to get there. And part of what I was facing was something that we all face in life, and that is loss. Loss. Loss is not something we're designed to face. We're designed to live with. You see, we're designed to express some level of sadness because of the capacity for tears that we all have, these things called tear ducts. But the truth is we're not designed for things to end. We're not designed that way. You see, when God created mankind, He put man in this perfect garden um, with this perfect setting, and it was designed for them to do what? Come to an end? No. It was designed for that, them to live forever. That's what God's design was. No sadness, no death, no loss. But one thing changed all of that. And that one thing that changed all of it was man's decision to go their own way, his own way instead of God's way, and God calls that sin. And so when we face a loss, we face loss and we face death. And we all face loss, all different kinds of loss. We face the loss of our youthfulness and no amount of workouts, no amount of plastic surgery, no amount of keto dieting is going to take you back to your childhood. It's still going to continue to move forward and you're going to get older. We face a loss of our dreams, dreams of a certain kind of career, dreams about your marriage, what that was going to be like, dreams for your children. We face the loss of routine and stabilities. Every time you change a job, you face a loss. Our children will grow independent. Our parents will age and rely on us even more. And most of us at one point in time in our lives will face what's described as a catastrophic loss. This is a loss you're not prepared for. The sudden death of someone that you know and love is a catastrophic loss. A friend or family member commits Suicide, a catastrophic loss. You lose a job suddenly that you had and were expecting to have for a long period of time, a catastrophic loss. A spouse who you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with ends up having an affair, and you're single once again. And there's all kinds of losses, from a life-threatening disease to infertility um, to a miscarriage to broken friendship to memory loss to abuse. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. And whatever happens when we face a loss is we feel something on the inside. 
We feel emotions on the inside. And most of the time, we don't know what to do with these emotions we feel. And so what we do is we push these emotions down. We're told to suck it up and just move on. And when someone asks us how we're doing, what do we say? I'm fine. You can say it with me. I'm fine. Just don't say it when I ask you this question. You're all like scared to say it. Oh, I can't say that to John. You know. But the truth is, this is what happens, right? When we're going through difficult times, hard situations. Are there times this is true of us? Yes, there are. But not when we're navigating grief and loss. You see, the truth is, change always includes loss. And loss is something that needs to be grieved. And what I want us to walk away this morning is with this reality, this truth, that failure to grieve will paralyze you. Where? In the past. But grieving well propels you forward in the future. Failure to grieve paralyzes you in the past, and grieving well propels you forward in the future. What is grief? What is grief? It's deep sorrow. It's deep sorrow. It's often connected to uh, death, but it's any kind of sadness or loss. And see, grief creates in us these conflicting emotions because often there's a level of denial, and, and sometimes there's a level of shock initially if it's sudden and unexpected, and then there's denial. Um, and then there's anger, and then there's overwhelming sadness that sometimes comes in waves that almost are uncontrollable. You say, John, why are we talking about grief? Well, if you haven't been here with us the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series um, entitled I'm Fine, in which we're looking at the subject of emotions. And what we started off by looking at is the fact that God, the Creator, has stamped His image on all of us. And as He stamped His image on all of us, He's placed His image, the things that are true about Him, on us. And God is an emotional being. He's a spirit being, but he's also an emotional being. And the first week I asked you this question, I said, how's your heart? And we talked about the condition of our heart. And we talked about the fact that emotions are like the, the dashboard warning lights of the soul. And the dashboard warning lights on your vehicle, these are some of them. And some of you are out there thinking, oh, that's what those things are. I never knew what that light was when it would come on. But if you ignore it over time, it will cost you dearly. That is true about our emotions. If we ignore them over time, it will cost you dearly. And we started a couple weeks ago, and there's some of these on the back wall. By looking at the feelings wheel, to just say, what am I feeling? And the guys are like bleary-eyed looking at that thing. They're like, that many emotions? No way. Yeah, the way. There are. There are. But it's true. It's the image of God stamped inside of us. And then last week, we started talking about habits, emotionally healthy habits, Many of you, it appears, practice very good hygiene habits before you came in this morning. We're very glad for that, you know, before you came here this morning. Some of you have healthy eating habits. We're glad for those healthy. I'm sure your spouse and doctor is glad when you practice your healthy eating habits. Some of you have physical exercise habits. We hope many of you have spiritual habits where you open God's Word and you pray and you meet with God and you serve and you give. But how many of us have emotionally healthy habits? emotional habits that pay attention to the relationships in our lives. And so last week, I gave you a few to practice. You remember what those were? First one is admit your feelings are in the car. This is for those that are thinkers. Feelings are there. And this is for the feelers. Don't let them drive. Don't let them drive. We also talked about maintaining ongoing dialogue with emotionally healthy people because you become like the people you are with. Third, Prioritize feedback from others over your own assessment. I asked you this question last week. I don't know how many of you asked anyone this question, but the question was this. What is it like to be on the other side of me? 
What is it like to be on the other side of me? Prioritizing feedback from others over our own assessment. And as always, invite God in the process because God wants to show up and meet you, not just in your thoughts, but in your heart and in your emotions that you feel. And so one of the often overlooked elements of paying attention to our emotions is our grief. And so how do most people grieve? How are most of us taught to grieve? Well, most of us are taught to grieve um, by simply doing this. First of all, to bury your feelings. You know, a little kid's upset, and, and what are they told? They're told, you know, just what? Calm down, and it'll be what? Okay. It'll be okay, right? You know, they, they lose the puppy, or the puppy dies, or the dog dies, and what do they say? We'll just get you another one, you know? The goldfish goes to goldfish heaven, which we know where that is because of Nemo now, you know? And so, we'll just get you another one, right? We'll replace the loss, and then lastly, it'll be okay in time, You'll for, in time, in time. But the truth is, I want to suggest to you this morning, this is a very faulty, defective way of dealing with grief. And I'm going to lay this out and hopefully look at examples from Jesus and David to give us direction on how to do that. You know, as I thought about how I experienced grief or experienced loss, it was usually some emotion. I tend to be able to express emotion fairly freely. Um, but nothing around what was going on in the inside. And so what happens if you don't grieve? Is there anything, can I, can I, I just don't have a lot of emotion. What happens if I don't grieve? Well, the truth is, emotions that are buried alive will come back in ways that you'll regret. They're buried alive in ways you'll regret. The number of people who've buried grief end up with addictions to work, Addictions to spending, addictions to Netflix, addictions to lots of other substances. All because of what? Because they failed to grieve. To grieve. And what happens is everyone around you will eventually feel what you fail to grieve. Everyone around you will eventually feel what you fail to grieve. And you'll see that in just a few minutes as we get to that. But your ability to be a great parent, a great spouse... A great coworker, an amazing friend, depends on your emotional habits. And just like if you ignore those warning dash lights, something bad will happen. The truth is, the later you choose to deal with your emotions, the greater the consequence. Um, let me ask you this question. If you ignore the dashboard lights on your car, is your car situation going to get better or worse? Which one? Worse, okay? If you ignore recommendations from the doctor about your health and thinks he wants you to take care of your health, is your health going to get better or worse? Worse, right? If you ignore your finances, if you don't pay your bills, is your situation going to, financial situation going to get better or worse? Worse. You all got quiet when I talked about that. You know, I think we all know that one, right? And so true with our emotions. You see, these are principles about the way life works. And when we ignore our emotions, when we dismiss those things, and we push those things down and we say, it'll be fine, do things get better or worse? Over time, they get worse. Over time, they get worse. And so what do we do differently? What do we do differently? Well, the first thing that I want to encourage you to do, and we're going to look at one of these psalms a little bit later, is to read the psalms. You say, what are the psalms? The psalms are a book in the Old Testament, and it's a book actually of poetry and songs that were written by David, mostly by David, by a few other men. They are raw, 
unedited, unfiltered emotion about situations in life and how God shows up in the middle of those over and over and over and over again. The Psalms is one of those books that you don't just read once and put aside, but you come back to it and come back to it and come back to it. And I think the other thing that we do is we look at the example of Jesus, because I think when we look at the example of Jesus, we get a window into what God desires to be true of us. And so if you have your Bibles, if you turn to John 11, John 11, uh, page 871, and I want to tell you what's happened in John 11. John is the, is the account written by John, the disciple of Jesus, of the events that happened to Jesus. It's his record of those events. And in John 11, there's a story that's taking place. One of Jesus' friends, his name is Lazarus, is sick. And so Jesus at that point had gained a reputation that he had healed the sick, and he had healed all kinds of diseases. And so Mary and Martha, who were Lazarus' sisters, they contacted Jesus. They Jesus, your friend is sick. Why don't you come? And the disciple says, Jesus, let's go. And Jesus says, no. We need to wait. Very confusing for the disciples. Very confusing for Mary and Martha. Because in verse 5, it says Jesus loved Mary, or Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. The only other person in the Bible that Jesus is said to have loved is the writer of this book, John. And so this is a guy that he loved dearly. Close friend. You don't say that to everybody. Close friend. And he's sick and in need. And Jesus doesn't show up. And so what happens to Lazarus? Lazarus dies. And after Lazarus dies, Jesus' disciples are like, Jesus, what in the world is going on? You're the guy that can do something about it. You know something's going on. This is your friend, and you don't come. And Jesus is like, okay, now it's time to go. They're like, what? What? And so they go. And as they arrive, the first person that Jesus encounters is Martha. And as he meets with Martha, Martha's the thinker of the two sisters. There's a thinker and a feeler. And so Martha starts to engage Jesus, and her first statement is, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Why didn't you come? And Jesus starts to talk to her at a very intellectual level. And somewhere along the way, it slowly clicks in, and she gets it. She gets it. She gets it. And we're going to take time to talk about that because I want to move to Mary's response so we want to focus our attention. Because then he encounters the other sister, Mary, who's a little bit more of the feeler, and he runs into Mary, and Mary comes and she falls down at Jesus' feet and she says the same thing, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Why don't you show up and rescue him? Where were you? And when Jesus saw this, he saw her weeping. And he saw other Jews around her weeping, and he was deeply moved. He was very troubled, very troubled. Mary was likely the more expressive of the two. And not only was she weeping, but there were others weeping around them. In the Orthodox Jewish culture, there's this practice called sitting shiva. And what happens when uh, someone passes away in the Jewish community is friends and family, they come and they just come and sit with you for a week. For a week. They don't say anything. They don't do anything. They just sit. And whatever you want, that's what they do. They let you drive that direction. Um, and so there was lots of emotion here, and it says that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit. We don't really know why. Maybe their grief, it follows that, so it seems like something stirred inside of him. Something touched him very, very deeply. 
Some writers have suggested that he was angry because his friend had died and and he hated death and he knew that he was going to do something about it, but he couldn't do that yet. But he then says to the sisters, he said, can we go see his body? Where's his body? And as they walk to where his body is, John records in verse 35 that Jesus wept. He wept. We have no explanation. All we know is that his friend has died. And John, the writer, could have simply said, Jesus showed up, he went and saw the body, he raised him from the dead, and people were amazed at what Jesus did. But John chose to give us this glimpse into the humanity of Jesus, this glimpse into the heart of Jesus, this glimpse into what God has stamped inside of our souls, to give us this picture that, was, that weeping is not a sign of weakness, but of empathy and sorrow, and actually more strength to be who He was in front of others. You know, the other thing that's interesting to me in this passage is, if you would go on and read, you'll discover that what Jesus proceeds to do is He proceeds to raise Lazarus from the dead. Um, Jesus knew He was going to do that because He was God. He, he knew this was going to happen, but He never tells the sisters this. When they said, Lord, well, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have, He didn't say to them, ladies, it's going to be okay. I've got a surprise coming for you. You're going to be thrilled with it, you know. When he feels his own emotion come up in him, he doesn't say, it's going to be okay. Guess what's coming? What we often do in the context of people of faith, when someone passes away and you know that person is a follower of Jesus and you know they're in heaven with him and you are as well and one day you're going to see him, what do we often say? We often say, it will be okay you will see them again. Jesus knows the future, and He doesn't say a word about it. He just enters His own humanity and is present with them. And one of the reasons I love this passage is because it gives us all these different pictures of grief. Some people grieve with their minds. They've got to think things through, and they've got to wrestle through, and and they've got to sort out stuff cognitively, and that's where Mary was, or excuse me, Martha. And others, like Mary, they're very overwhelmed with their grief, and it's evident to everybody around, and others, even like Jesus, not at the moment when everybody else is, but still expresses that grief so fully. And what psychologists and counselors tell us is that you can't control grief. You can't control it. There are stages of grief, and you walk through these stages, but you never know when or for how long or what that's going to look like. And Jesus gives us the space to grieve and to grieve well. Because if you fail to grieve, you'll be paralyzed in the past, but if you grieve well, you'll be propelled forward to whatever God has for you in the future. Another passage that I often go to in funerals is Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is a psalm written by David, who was a king. He was also a shepherd. He took care of sheep. And David, would write, David wrote this psalm, and as he wrote this psalm, he compared the role of a shepherd to God. He compares those two. And I want to look at one part in the middle of that, and that's verse 4. And in verse 4, he says this. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley... And that's what loss feels like. That's what death feels like. That's when something you have comes to an end. It feels like a dark valley. You wonder where you are. You can't find your way. You don't know when it will end. 
and you can't see what's coming next. When my wife and I were in Israel, we went to this place called Hezekiah's Tunnel. It's a tunnel that was hewn out of the rock, and there's water that still runs through it today. And we walked through the middle, through this, we had to go down underground and walk in this tunnel, and we had to wear headlamps because you couldn't see where you're going, and the walls were like, the rock walls were like this tight on, on the side of you, and, and I had to duck at one spot because it was so high, the, the, the ceiling was so low. And you get in the middle of this tunnel, about 12 to 13 minutes in, it's a 25-minute walk. Um, and the guide says, okay, everybody turn out your headlamps. Um, and it is utter, utter darkness. And that's what this valley feels like. And when you are facing a loss, especially a sudden, unexpected loss, it can feel like a dark valley. And one of the reasons we don't want to walk into grief, one of the reasons we want to avoid it, is because we are afraid of a dark valley. But what does David say next? He says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. David says, one of the things that the shepherd does that makes the sheep feel secure and willing to walk through that valley is the sheep know that the shepherd is there with them. God's presence provides us comfort as we walk. Because the truth is, if we don't walk into that valley and we don't know He's there, we're afraid that the grief will paralyze us, will cause us to be frozen. And grief unaddressed can do that. If you ever encounter adults who at times act like teenagers or act like kids in their behavior, in their actions, likely they experience a traumatic event in their teenage years, in their childhood years that happened not necessarily to them, but around them, and their emotions are frozen in time because they've never faced that and walked through that. Queen Victoria of England lost her husband, Prince Albert, at age 42, very suddenly. She was paralyzed with grief. She was so paralyzed with grief, she slept with his nightshirt in her arms every night for the rest of her life. When she got up in the morning, she would lay out a fresh set of clothes for him. When she got up in the morning, she would put a fresh towel and a fresh container of water for him to shave with. And wherever she slept for the rest of her days, she kept a picture of him right there by her nightstand. She was paralyzed and frozen in her grief. And the fear of loss can paralyze us and keep us stuck in this place in our grief. But knowing God will be with us enables us to walk through this valley because knowing that knows that gives us the capacity to know that He has a future for us. This verse ends by saying, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, any shepherds in the room this morning? Any shepherds? I don't see any shepherds. No shepherds. I'm not a shepherd either. Um, but I, I don't think a rod and a staff, I don't think they're words of endearment to sheep. You know, it's not like, here's your teddy bear, you know, here's the rod, you know. You know, spare the rod, you know, I heard that a lot when I was a kid, you know. Felt it too, um, you know. Um, when you think of a rod, you think of something that's going to poke, right, or prod, or, or maybe smack to move them. That's what you think of a rod, and the staff is a, a long stick with a hook on the end that was used to rescue them often from the brush or maybe from the water that they've wandered in, and their wool starts to get wet, and they get flipped upside down, and the shepherd reaches the staff in and pulls them back to safety. And Jesus reminds us, excuse me, David reminds us that there's things that God brings into our lives, not, not a rod and a staff, but things like that, physical things 
that they comfort us in our time of grief. It might be a friend that walks with you and shows up in your time of grief. It might be something you read in the Bible in your time of grief. It might be a song that you hear in your time of grief. It might be something you see out in nature in your time of grief. And you have this overwhelming sense, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I know that God is with me, and that just gave me a little glimpse from Him that He's comforting me, that He's comforting me. You know, we're wired and we're focused in our culture to avoid pain, aren't we? Everybody say, yes, we are. We are. We're wired for what? Comfort, right? What's the thread count on your sheet? That being wired for comfort is what that's all about, right? You know, we are not wired to walk into pain. We're wired to make life easy. But walking into grief is difficult, and it's not going to be easy, and it's not comfortable. But failure to grieve will leave us paralyzed in the past, and if we grieve well, we'll be freed to be propelled forward in the future. You say, John, how do I know if I have a gr- loss in my life that I haven't grieved well? How do I know? Let me give you a couple things that might help you know. The first is mismatched emotions. The second is lack of emotion. You say, what's a mismatched emotion? A mismatched emotion is when something small happens, and this is your emotion. You blow up. Child spills, a mi- spills milk, and there's a massive explosion. Or there's a horrible loss, and there's no response. The way I see this happen most often, I'll be sitting with someone, and they'll tell me that their parent died when they were a young child, and then they chuckle afterwards. That's a mismatched emotion. That's a horrible loss for a child. And then I have that be the reply. So the emotion doesn't match the situation. When you encounter someone, watch this in yourself. When you encounter this in others, when you see it doesn't match, there's something lying going on underneath. And the second is a lack of emotion. Lack of emotion. When there is no emotion, when there is no, you say, John, I'm not an emotional person. I understand that some are more and some are less. But the truth is all of us, if you are alive and breathing, has the image of God stamped in you, which means it is there in you. And so when there is none, not when there's little, when there is none, you need to ask yourself, what's going on underneath? What's going on underneath? The truth is we have to make some space for grief. We have to make some space for grief. Because if you fail to do this, what will happen is you will find yourself in your 30s and early 40s with mismatched emotion, with stuff coming out all over the place. You'll find yourself frustrated and discouraged with life. You'll find yourself trying to numb all this pain in your life. Addictive behaviors will follow. You'll find yourself trading in your car, trading in your spouse, buying a new boat, and at the end of the day wondering, how in the world did I get myself here? All because you failed to pay attention to the stuff that's going on in your soul. So you're wondering, is there a better way? Is there a better way? How do I grieve the losses? Well, I think the first thing to ask yourself, is there a loss that you haven't grieved? Is there a loss that you haven't grieved? You know, sometimes losses, they, they blindside you, don't realize it until later. You know, when my son went away to college, um, you know, he had just finished his senior year. He was kind of pressing me really hard for lots and lots of independence. I wasn't ready to give him his independence, but it was finally time for him to go away to college. I was like, 
yes, he's going to college, go, you know, and then grief hit me like, whoa, man, I was not prepared for that. Wham, wham, I was not prepared for it. On the other hand, we know when grief is coming. We know when it's coming. One of our members, uh, Ann Mulwer, has been navigating her dad, you know, coming through his final days and just got word today that he passed away, and she knew this was coming. We know it's coming. Um, so identify a loss, maybe a loss that you haven't grieved, and that's going to show up when those mismatched emotions and the lack of emotions around that. The second is um, feel the feelings and express them freely. Whatever's going on inside, you're like, I don't know what I feel. Grab that feelings chart, go online and find one and say, what am I feeling inside? You say, how do I get to those feelings? So this is the step that I've discovered. Write down what you've lost or what you'll miss. You know, we naturally do this often at funerals. You sit around with family members, you say, hey, don't you remember when they so-and-so, don't you remember, don't you remember, what are you doing? You're talking about what you will miss from that. We are wired to do that without even realizing it. That's part of a healthy grieving process. You know, I told you I was stuck in this wanting to celebrate my daughter, but feeling the loss of her, you know, getting married and... um, I wrestled with this and wrestled with this, and my daughter made it worse because she asked me, she said, Dad, I really like the way you do weddings, so I, would, you do, would you do our wedding? And I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to be easy, you know, I'm kind of an emotional guy, and it comes out, and I don't want to distract from my daughter's wedding, you know. And I was pleading with God about this, and the, the day of her wedding, this may sound crazy, the day of her wedding, I was home by myself for two hours, and um, I kept trying to think, what am I going to, what am I going to, miss. What am I going to miss? I would write, oh, I'm going to miss this. Oh, but this is going to, oh, I'm going to miss this. Oh, but this. Oh, I'm going to miss this. Oh, but this. I kept doing this. And finally, I sat down that morning, and I sat down on my computer, and I started typing a letter to her, and I said, Alicia, these are all the things, that was my daughter who was up here, by the way, so um, these are all the things that I've loved about being your dad, and just typed a whole bunch of those things. And um, Then I just started typing, this is what I'm going to miss. And then this is another thing I'm going to miss. And this is another thing I'm going to miss. And this is another thing I'm going to miss. And I didn't put any buts after each of those. I just put a period after every single one of them. And um, the floodgates opened for me. And God in His mercy allowed me to grieve that my daughter had come to this place in her life by God's hand, and it's time to me to release her and give her away to a man that she loved. And I was able to do that. I was able to do that. Now, don't be deceived that that meant all the tears came out then, because they didn't. And I discovered you can try to walk your daughter down the aisle and try to have a straight face and smile and be crying on the inside at the same time, you know. Um, but it was a beautiful day. Um, it was a wonderful event that we were able to celebrate, and I was able to give my new son-in-law, Mark, who's in the middle there, a big hug and say, I love you, Mark. I'm so thrilled that you're here because I was able to end that well, and I was able to be propelled forward into something new that God had for us. And the last one is invite God to heal the wounds of the loss. This is not about just emotional psychobabble. This is about the fact that God has stamped his image in you. We live in a sinful, broken world, and that's why grief and loss is here. But God has not left us alone. 
He sent His Son, His one and only Son, to die on the cross and to defeat death so that we will have the opportunity to experience life forever with Him and life at its very best here as we know it. But God cannot heal what you and I do not admit and feel. God cannot heal what you and I do not admit and feel. And somehow, somewhere in God's plan, He will walk with you to a place of facing these losses and freeing you from them and giving you life again. And so, we close this morning. I want to ask you this question. What loss has do you have to grieve and to grieve well? As we close, I want to invite you to listen to this song, and let's make this song our prayer as we end today. In the front lines, you fight for me. Oh, your kindness is my shield. When the armies rise and I am scared, my heart you will defend. When the pain was real, you were on my side. You were on my side. When you saved me from my heart of stone, you awoke these bones. You were on my side. You were on my side. Nothing on this earth. 
Father, and may that be the truth that rings in our heart as we walk out today. Whether it's things we have to walk back to and walk through some darkness and grieve those losses as well, or things that you have right in front of us, Lord, that you are with us. You are always on our side. And that you invite us into a relationship where you long for us because of what you've done on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus to offer us something that is new. But we can't get there until we walk through the valley of death. God, we need your help. We need the encouragement of others. We need the comfort of your spirit. We need the truth of your word. And we need the hope of the gospel to go with us. In your name we pray.